I'm going through this uh, list in, in Matthew that we've been going through. We've noticed a lot of things about words and, and, and definitions, what they, what they mean. Um, sometimes it's a, a word that's changed, actual definition, or uh, and, and sometimes we just see that culture applies uh, something slightly different. Uh, and sometimes uh, cultures are affected by the, by the language that we have. I'll give you a, a couple of, of uh, illustrations of that. Um, our, our understanding of history or our understanding of, sometimes even our understanding of our, our various phrases that we use are, are, are interesting. Uh, we've heard of the phrase, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. You heard that one? And, uh, and I always assumed that, that there was, you know, in some part of the, the, the country or something, there was something about, you know, I always assumed it was, some, you know, it's raining out and uh, we could have flash flooding and, and, uh, and, and, uh, and the water is, uh, is getting higher, so maybe I'm not going to be able to get there. And, uh, and found out that, um, that it was uh, actually, uh, it was, the, the phrase was coined by a guy by the name of Benjamin Hawkins. And he was supposed to be returning to Washington, D.C. He was a representative or a senator. And uh, the president had summoned him to, to return to, uh, to, to Washington, D.C., but there was a potential uprising of Creek Indians in, uh, I think, in Kentucky or wherever he was. And, uh, and so he's like, uh, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. So, uh, so anyway, um, it, it was kind of interesting. Our, our, our view of, of our language sometimes is, is interesting uh, and, and, and a little bit misconstrued, and we have a lot of interesting things like that in our, our, our history of our own country that we, we don't really recognize because culture and language, and we don't necessarily think of uh, uprising Indians as a, as a part of our prevalent culture today. So, uh, however, sometimes our, our culture is actually affected by the idioms that we have. I'll give you an example. You've already, everybody's seen this, haven't you? Work, work smarter, not harder. That, that is an idiom that is a, a part of our culture. And it's increasingly, now I don't know about this specific phrase, but, but this concept is an increasing part of our, and, I, and I, I'm not saying that we should work dumber. Right? That's, not, that's not, a, uh, not an idea that, that we want to uh, improve. But, but this has actually affected culture. Someone started, they started charting. I don't know when they started doing this and how they, how they chart it. But they, they started charting the hand grip strength of graduating senior males. I'm just, uh, just charting them. Uh, over time, uh, and and um, sorry, graduating seniors, but uh, in it was like in 2017 or 2018 for the first time, the average male uh, hand grip was under 100 pounds. It was the first time ever. Uh, as time has gone on, we, we've we've placed less and less of a priority on hard work, on 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 doing things with our hands, and 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 culture has shifted uh, towards. Uh, now, now, I wonder if if you tested the average thumb strength of graduating seniors. I, I bet I bet that's going up. I think that one's going up. But um, uh, religious idioms are. Are, are, are similar. Um, 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Now, if I asked you uh, about this concept of grace, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. If I, if I said grace and mercy, what are they? Probably someone would, would offer this pithy saying, right? Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy is when he spares us from the things we uh, do deserve. And, and, and that's a little, uh, there's some accuracy. Much, much like work harder, not smarter, there's some accuracy there. Uh, what, what the problem is is that it's limited in, in the, the definition. And so I want to go through and understand mercy today. Uh, what, what Jesus is trying to get at. And so to, to understand it, first I need to look at how I understand it, right? Kind of like the, the Creek Indians and, and these things that, that we have gone back and, and have to go back and rediscover what the original concept was. I need to understand, A, how we got to my understanding of mercy. How did I get to where I think that definition, mercy is being spared from something uh, that I do deserve uh, versus what, what he uh, intended. Well, first of all, I need to understand where I interpret from. What's my perspective? My, my understanding of, of mercy, and in a lot of topics, in fact, comes from a culture of Christianity. Not just an American. I'm not talking about, well, we, we were raised in an American uh, Christian culture, and America is a Christian country. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a Western world which has been civilized through the agency of, of over thousands of years that, that Christianity has affected things. And universities were established as, as ways to spread the gospel. That's what they were originally. Not just in the United States, but in Europe. Right? The first ones were, were, were really to train preachers and train missionaries. Uh, alphabets and, and languages. The, the barbarians were, were civilized, learning to read through what? Through the agency of the Bible. Our culture has developed. And so what's happened through time is that a lot of the words that were just words have become... Have, specific spiritual ideas. In other words, they, they had a lot of, at the beginning, they might have had a wide range and, and a spiritual definition was one of the definitions. But what happened was through time and, and as, and this is a good process, as, as Christianity has, has influenced it, what, what's remained of some of these words is exclusively the religious context. So that we pretty much use the word grace as a religious word, or mercy, we, we, we pretty much use as a religious word in, in many of these cases. So what was it then? Uh, well, I use it now, and a lot of these words, if you think about it, because I only have the religious word, a lot of these words become pure synonyms. Grace, mercy, salvation, justification. Right? These, these words all mean to us the same thing when, when it, because they were broader words when they were originally used, they, they, they had a, a greater variance. But we've, we've just pulled one definition out of each one of these. So, so as we've done that, they've just become 
one idea. And we, we don't understand the difference necessarily between sanctification and justification. Well, those are, well, well, it's the same thing. No, they're not. So we want to talk about mercy and, and what it was originally. So let me talk about their concept of mercy, understanding their concept. Um, Matthew chapter 9, verse 27 it says, uh, uh, Jesus passed on from there, and two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. <clears throat> Here's another one. Zechariah 7, 9 through 10. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. And, and so what it was really originally was a, primarily it was used as a reference to being relieved of, of some physical condition. That, that's what the way they understood it. They didn't understand it with a, within a spiritual context. Oh, it was used for poverty. It was used for, for blindness. Have mercy on me. He wasn't asking for forgiveness of sins. This is why the, the verse that, that Cam read, is, it, it's revolutionary, actually. As, <clears throat> as this, Jesus, remember, that, that's just a story. That's just a parable. <clears throat> Probably not likely an event that happened. But Jesus is trying to get their, their minds to a different idea. We really don't see, in the Bible, we really don't see the word mercy being used spiritually on a regular basis until we get to the book of Romans. And then it's almost exclusively from then on referring to salvation and, and, and forgiveness. But Jesus tries to, to get people off of this idea. And, and here's this man. And he says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And this comes across, the, the, this is like a revolutionary thought. What? That, that this idea is applied to, to spirituality. Oh, I need mercy spiritually. That's new to them. I'm not saying it, it was exclusively a new idea, but, but it, it was kind of revolutionary that, that hey, I'm going to shift the concept. That I want more from this word than just blindness and, and, and just feeding you or just, just this help or that help. But it begins here, and that's important. Now we come to one that's interesting. Luke chapter 1, verse 57 and 58, it says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And there's this idea, uh, um, what is, how in the world does this fit now my definition? Because I was just getting comfortable with the idea that, that mercy is a relief from a physical condition. Uh, how in the world now, Andrew, does pregnancy and labor fit into this idea of relief from a physical condition? Because that seems like it's increasing my pain. <laughs> not, not, not lessening it. And we'll, we'll explain exactly uh, how. Now, their concept seems a little erroneous. It doesn't seem to be quite uh, matching based on what I'm saying. But we're going to see that it's because my concept, my modern concept, is still failing a little bit. And what we need to do to correct this is understand our posture of mercy. We understand the posture of mercy 
a lot, still through this idea of a contest, right? Forgiveness. Why do I need forgiveness? Why do I need mercy? Because there's some contest between me and God. And, and God, please, you know, I, I, I've been trying to overcome him and he, he's going to get me down to where, okay, oh, mercy. Right? Give me mercy. And that's, that's our concept of mercy. And it's kind of ingrained on us. So we, so we have to go back and understand just a couple of things. <clears throat> Their concept of mercy required two things. First of all, a party or an object in distress. Any type of distress. But again, because of their culture, they understood this primarily physically. If, if you see, if you exist in a culture that's primarily poor, or has a lot of these other physical problems in it, and poor medicine and poor, you're going to necessarily see all of the physical distress. That, that, that's what, that's like, whoa, this is what's heavy on your mind. So, so you're going to emphasize the physical part of distress. And a party with compassion. That's the, necess, that's the second part of, of mercy. And, and this is where we get our concept or our posture, if I want to start looking at my posture of mercy, is understanding these two ideas. And so as I... I look at Mary, go, or excuse me, at Elizabeth, uh, how Elizabeth received mercy is to understand that she wasn't obviously speaking of the physical pain that she was going to go through or on discomfort of, of pregnancy. That, that was mild. That was a mild distress. She had a much greater distress in not being able to bear children. That, that to her in their culture, was, was, it was absolutely a part of a woman's identity to be able to bear children. We live in a culture where, where, where women have ability of higher education. Careers are, are a part of a woman's world. And, and there's lots of things to distract a woman from, from, from that one aspect of being a woman. They didn't have that then. So all day a woman has to think, I'm not like the rest of the women in society. And so, so it, it puts on her this great distress that she had. And now she's, she's too old to have children. Of course, Elizabeth was. And, and, and so now she's got all the, if only, to look back in time and, and wish she could have. And she gets a great mercy. God allows her the ability to, to give birth, and not just to any child, but, but to John the Baptist, to, to have a, a, an important child, a, a child who's not just going to be a child, which she would love dearly had he you know, been just a, a boy and run around, and, and that's life. And, but, but to have a child that's going to be an intrinsic part of God's plan for humanity. Wow, what a mercy. What a mercy. God uh, smiles on this situation, on this distress that she has. So now we understand a little bit. I think we're, we're getting into the, the idea of God's posture in mercy. Really, 
it's not opposite, but it's the opposite perspective of, of something we talked about earlier. We talked about the poor in spirit, and we talked about the humble. And, and the humble is the, the one looking up, and, 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 and I'm poor in spirit. I, I've got this awful distress. That's the party in distress. But the posture of mercy is the one looking now at the same situation from the perspective of the compassion. Oh, here's the situation. I'm going to respond to it. And that's exactly what we see in, in, uh, in James chapter 2, 12 through 16. There's going to be three elements here that we see. He says, so speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? And if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, is lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and you don't give them the things that are needed for the body, what good is that? There are three elements here that go into, uh, into mercy. Says, first of all, we have an acknowledgement of need. This guy was good. It was good for him. He acknowledged that there's a need. Ah, you don't have clothes. You don't have, uh, you, you don't have food. So, so this guy's he's right on it. He's aware of the problem. Well, that's the first thing that's necessary. For, for mercy, to acknowledge the need. The second one, he feels empathy. He, he well wishes. He sends a hug on Facebook and, and, and does whatever he does, uh, he's, he's feeling empathetic. He's vocalizing his empathy. That's good. That's good. It's a, it's a good start. Uh, but, but God says there, there's a one thing missing. There's one thing missing here in, in the equation. Uh, and that was an, act, an actual response. You, you didn't actually do anything. You, you got two out of three, but that wasn't good enough. Uh, but these are, and I, I, I just, but, you know, some people kind of, you know, slow on the uptake and don't recognize the need. Well, well we can't even get to the, to the active part of things if we're not recognizing the need. So, so these are three elements that James says, these are, these are all things that are necessary for the posture of mercy. I, I need it here, I need it here, but I need it here. These are the three things for mercy. The return of mercy. Now I'm not talking about mercy returning, but, but when, when Jesus phrases this, there's always a return. Blessed are this group because something. There's always a return. What is the return? <clears throat> and what is meant by this return? He says, blessed are the merciful, or blessed are those who show mercy, because they will what? They will receive mercy. Well, how do I, what do I mean by, but what, does, what does Jesus mean by this? And uh, I suppose we could look at this much like we looked at comfort, right? Blessed are the, blessed are those who show comfort, they, they will be comforted, right? Here's, here's, here's a crying group of people, you're going to show them comfort, and, and boom, I get comfort. Blessed are this group because they're going to get back what they give, right? I give this, 
I get it. And it, it's wonderful. Because, because it all works around. And that's not what he's talking about here. I want to go back to James and I want to, I want to look at what he says. He says, so speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law of liberty. There's just that one phrase. He says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is an important thing. He's not talking about human mercy for human mercy. He's not saying, blessed are you if you show mercy, because some, somewhere down the line, someone's going to give you mercy back. That's not the idea. It, it's true. It's probably true. If you're a person who is generally merciful, people are more likely to want to show you mercy than if you're stingy. That's a true statement, but that's not the intent. The intent is, he's saying, you get spiritual mercy... For showing physical mercy. That doesn't mean you can act as bad as you want. Just so long as you donate to the American way. Or whatever. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But it may be more in an exclusive sense. You can do all the, the virtuous things you want. And you can go to the church. And you can do this. And you can do that. And you can All of the religious aspects you want. <laughs> But without mercy, that's going to be invalidated. Mercy triumphs over the judgment. And that's, that's the idea here, I believe. So the question is, how do I train myself? Or posture is a training thing. Right? You go to the chiropractor, uh, you got a tendency. When you, you're in this, you do this. Oh, yeah. And you're out of shape. You, you lean this way or you stand this way. Look how you're standing. Oh, yeah, and then realize that. You, you've trained, you've got muscle memory. And muscle memory, after a while, tends to go back to the way it was. Right? We've talked about that a little bit before. So, so I need to train my posture. How, how, is my, how is my mercy posture? How do I, how I get mercy posture? And so I want to look at just a few things uh, that, that really get us to where we want. <clears throat> it's how we look at the distressed party. It's my perspective. It goes back to my perspective. How am I looking at the distressed party? First of all, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, he says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. And this is, then he gives a sentence. He doesn't give a word. He gives a sentence. You said one word. Well, what's the one word? Love. It is one word. Paul knew what he was saying. It is filled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, so my first perspective is to view that person as myself. <clears throat> and this is why I believe that that idea of receiving a mercy for a mercy is not the intended idea. Right? Uh, wanting to help a person because I might be in a situation where I need mercy in the future, even though that's true, is not what he's intending. Because what am I doing? I'm viewing myself as the potential object in distress down the road. See, my view is where? It's on me. Better do this because you never know when I could need the mercy. See, I, I'm really thinking it's me-centric. 
It's not person it's not, it's not distressed party. I need to have my mind on that person who needs the mercy. This is what they need. Any difference what it is for me down the road or now. This person needs the mercy. Now I want to read a, a, a larger text. And then I'm going to excerpt it. But I like the whole text. It's in, it's in Matthew chapter 25. And it goes it, 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 almost identically with, with what we've been talking about. Matthew chapter 25, and we begin in verse 31. He says, uh, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, he will sit down on the throne of glory, and the nations will be gathered from him, and he will separate them one from another, like a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food, and I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. And I was stranger, and you took me in, and I was naked, and you clothed me, and I was sick, and you visited me, and I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will say, when did we see all that? And the king will say to them, verse 40, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the one of the least of these who are my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left hand, depart from me. You cursed into the everlasting fire, which is prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in. I was naked, you did not clothe me. I was sick in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked? Sick in prison, did not minister to you. And then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it. To me, these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. And we get the basic idea that, that the other perspective is to have the perspective of this person as Christ. I view them as myself, and I view them as Christ. Those are the two perspectives that, that tra- retrain my posture to be a posture of mercy. But I want to look at one aspect of the. Uh, when I read this, I'm like, I, I understand the, the statements to the second group really well. Because he says, you, uh, you didn't do these things for me. You should have had this perspective that these people represent me. Since you didn't have that perspective, you did the wrong thing. And that makes sense. And, and so I should expect the opposite when he's teaching the opposite, but it's not exactly what he says. He does not teach the opposite exactly. The righteous will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick and... Pre-? In other words... The righteous did the right thing, but they were not aware of what the representation was. They did not see Christ. They did the right thing, but they were not aware of the significant representation of Christ underneath the brother that they held. And that, in my mind, it's opposite of what I would have expected. These people didn't see it, so they didn't do it. These people didn't see it, but somehow did it. 
I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you made the right choice, but you look back at it and you're like, I could have easily made the wrong choice. I wasn't aware of some things and, and it, was on, it was like, I had a 50-50 shot or, and you're like, it's kind of scary. Like, wow, that could have easily gone the other way. Uh, I remember, and this is not really connected to mercy, but it, it, it kind of, the, the same thing, the same feeling. I had the same feeling. Um, it was probably my junior, senior year in, in college. And uh, we had a number of people coming to the youth group that were just friends of, of various people that they worked with or whatever. And one, one guy's name was Nick. And, uh, and he came from, out of a, a Pentecostal background. And, and so he had lots of visions and things. And, and so we sat down and uh, I, was, I just happened to be in the boys' dorm the one night. He came over and, and we got talking. And, and so we kind of had an impromptu study about things. He's like, okay, that's interesting. And he left. I'm like, okay, I don't know if that's going to work or not. And um, about a week later, he's having a study with Josh, another kid in the school. And I'm like, studying with Josh. I thought my answers were good. And uh, about a month later, he, he became Christian. And, uh, and he actually had studied with four people in, in the school, students. And he says, uh, he had kind of made up his mind after he'd studied with me. But he said, he said I just wanted to make sure that every, every one of the three that I studied with after were going to say the same thing. It's like, and I retroactively, like, what if I would have said something different? Like, we didn't get together. We didn't, like, we got to make our stories match. Or what like... It's kind of scary retroactively. I mean, he's a Christian now, and he's still a Christian. And, but it's like retroactively, I was really scared. And, and I, I look at this group of people here, and not that it's the same topic, but with the same, uh, the same feeling that I get. Like, like retroactively, if I was in this group, I'd be like, okay, we did the right thing, but that's kind of scary because I didn't understand the significance of it. I, I didn't see Jesus in that person that I gave something to drink to. I didn't see the person, the person I visited or whatever. I didn't really see Jesus. And I, if, if I would have been that, like, wow, I could have easily been one of the other people. Because I didn't, I didn't have myself trained to see Christ in there. And that could have easily gone the other way. It, it, it's about, Jesus is really teaching something to both groups here. We need to incline ourselves Towards this, it's a reposturing. It's reposturing. And that's the challenge to incline yourself. We have the word inclination. And what does inclination mean? We use it like the word tendency, right? It's a, it's a, it's a tendency towards something. But that's not what the word means. It means to incline. It, it means to shift something. It's something is going to go a certain direction. That's what it means. And that's where the tendency comes from. It's about my posture. I, I, I shift something. I, Cam and I were talking about cutting down trees. Like, those can go wrong way. <laughs> you got to know what you're doing. 
You've you got to know where the incline is. You've got to know you're reading weight and, 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 and leverage and all these different things that, that are elements of, of getting that thing to go where you want it to go. And, and that, that's the way kind of it is with us. I need to be inclined. I, I need, I need to, to have the wedges set right, and so I'm going to go the right way. And that's through my perspective, through my awareness of, of the things and the distresses of the parties around me. I'll give you one example, and this is not something I'm saying that we have to do. Okay, this is just an example. There's a Church of Christ in, in New York I'm familiar with. They were actually on the news. I saw, saw a thing. Uh, they posted a link. Um, they actually made the news. They were recognized by as a group, and I, I, I didn't write down the name of the group, but it's a group that trains organizations uh, and, and uh, for recognizing signs of, of trafficking. It's not always obvious. And they, like 90% of the church went through the training, so they got an award. Um, it's just, it, it's it, inclining yourself towards a particular type of distress. They're inclined, they're aware. Whatever the thing is, it's learning to be more aware, inclining myself towards something so that I know it goes back to that first thing James, James was talking about. The first thing is to be aware of it. You can't get to the point where you're deciding to help until you're aware. Obviously, I think the middle one is, is, goes without saying. I think the people in this room are the type of when we're aware of a thing, we, we immediately have the emotional response. That, that, that you have to be hard. You have to be pretty hardened not to feel an emotional response to something. I don't think that's a, a problem in this room, right? Sometimes we're not trained. I'm not trained sometimes. There's, there's things that I've learned and, and found out like, wow. Kind of like this group of people that was doing some right things. And it's like, here's, here's an awareness. It's just, it's just a deeper level of an awareness that we need. So that we can make the right decision more often, maybe. Not that we're making the wrong decisions, but to incline ourselves, to, to hear the, the statements around us in the workplace, the different types. Distress comes in many, many different forms. Frustration, depression, sadness. It might be physical. There's so many different faces of distress being aware of them right body language betrays distress our world is a place of distress and so to to, to be merciful is to just tip myself to where I have a tendency to be able to perceive those things and to, to be merciful to those situations.